Well, good morning, Gresham Bible Church. Great to see everybody today. Michael, nice jacket. Um, Glad to be with you. We need to gather as God's people to be formed by the gospel together, don't we? So um, if you haven't already done so, today we're going to continue through our series in the book of Colossians. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. So if you haven't already, please make your way there. And to kind of tee up our text for us today, Paul, remember he's writing from prison to these group of Christians in Colossians. Paul in our text is going to get really, really personal. There's a bunch of personal pronouns, I and my, scattered throughout our text. Paul is going to be commending himself when you think about it. And I don't know about you, but as I've been thinking about what Paul's doing in the text, he's commending himself. I don't know about you, do you find it awkward to commend yourself? Yeah, yeah, most people do, right? And if you don't, maybe that's a different set of problems we can talk about. But as a former hiring manager, I would interview lots of people, and most people have a really hard time commending themselves, except for Michael Scott. Who else loves Michael Scott? Yes? Okay, so here's Michael Scott. Here's how he would commend himself. If you don't know, he's one of the main characters in The Office. In one of my favorite scenes... His boss, this guy named David, he's meeting with Michael in this big office, right? And David asks Michael, just just picture this scene, right? Job interview style. What do you think are your greatest strengths as a manager? So how does Michael Scott answer this question, whether to commend himself or not? Here's what Michael Scott says, and it's awesome. Why don't I tell you about what my greatest weaknesses are? I work too hard, I care too much, and sometimes I can be too invested in my job. Wow. David says, okay, what are your strengths? Michael says, well, my weaknesses are actually my strengths. So commending ourselves just by the tone in the room is hard, it's awkward for a lot of us. Or sometimes commending ourselves, it just doesn't feel quite right. But for some people, it can come way too easily, Michael Scott being one of them. So that's what I've been thinking about. What does it mean to commend ourselves? And again, in our text, we're going to read it here in a minute and walk through it together. You're going to hear, listen for Paul commending himself. It's a really personal letter. He's talking about his own gospel ministry and how Christ works in and through him. So before we jump in, as we do every time we gather as Gresham Bible Church, let's come to the Lord in prayer first before we open his word together. So please join me in prayer. Father God, we need to hear from you today as we do every day and feel especially so this morning. Give us hearts to confess, repent, and believe. Center us today on the best news imaginable, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I need your help May I communicate your word clearly, and may all of us truly listen today to you through your word. Open your word to us, and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, follow along with me. If you haven't opened your Bible, great time to do that now. Have your Bible in front of you, and let's read it together. I'm going to read it aloud for us. Chapter 124, verse chapter 2, verse 5. This is God's word. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you 
to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So in our passage today, starting in verse 24 of chapter 1, going through verse 5 in chapter 2, we're going to see two points of emphasis that are just kind of layered on top of each other throughout. The first point of emphasis is the means of gospel ministry, and the second point of emphasis is the ends of gospel ministry. So the means and the ends of gospel ministry. And to see the means, we just kind of have to soak in all the goodness that's in our text here. We have to see the content and the method of Paul's gospel ministry. So I'm kind of just going to be like a rock skipping over the water here briefly in our text. In our text, Paul clearly states the content of his ministry is Christ. Look down at verse 28. What's it say? Him we proclaim, Paul says. Paul is all about proclaiming Christ. And also look right above that in verse 27. How is Christ, whom he's proclaiming, described in verse 27? Christ is said to be the hope of glory. So this hope that is in the Colossian believers. And that's amazing because this church, this group of Christians that Paul's writing to from prison are mainly Gentiles. So this hope that the idea was it was just for the Jewish people is now the hope, the hope of glory that's in these Gentile believers too. So Paul was all about the content was Christ to whom he's writing to here in Colossians. He's not making this about an ethical code or religious performance or a set of laws or rules or living your best life now practices. He's all about Christ because Christ was the mystery of God, he says in our text. Then as to Paul's method, what is our text pointing us to? Paul here, again, he's being really personal, and he's just sharing his heart with us, his approach. His method is all about preaching Christ from all of scriptures, from the full counsel of God. He says here in our text in verse 26, how's this described? To make the word of God fully known, because what does the word of God center on if Paul's all about Christ? It's about Christ, isn't it? Paul knew this from all his training, right, as a Jewish scholar. He knew the Old Testament inside and out. God takes the scales off of his eyes and says, this one you're persecuting is me, Jesus, and the light bulb goes on. And he sees all of Old Test the Old Testament was pointing to Christ, and then he's all about making Christ known. 
right? And in our moment, in our context, we look back to Christ. So Paul's content and method was Christ because Paul was all about proclaiming God's word, making God fully known and speaking clearly about it. Okay, so we have content and method. Just we're trying to tee up that. Okay, that's helpful, but we want to focus on and press into the means of gospel ministry here in our text. And when we think about what are the means of Paul's ministry, it's the same thing. It's Christ, but with a certain point of emphasis, a certain flavor to it. And to get specifically, the means of Paul's ministry is in verse 24. Look down with me and read it, hear it. Verse 24 says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So the means here is Christ, and specifically, it's the sufferings of Christ that is the method of his gospel ministry. And when Paul says sufferings here in verse 24, it's not just like the general sufferings all of us go through in this broken world. He's really honing our attention on these are the sufferings of gospel ministry, the sufferings you experience in making Christ known of advancing his gospel. And in verse 24, if, if you read it, you're like, oh, that sounds good. But if you read it again and read it again, hopefully as you've been reading through the book of Colossians 40 times, remember our challenge, you're going to think, wait, that maybe doesn't hit my ear the way I thought it would. Verse 24, if we're being honest, is probably one of the most difficult verses in the whole New Testament, let alone the book of Colossians, to really make sure we're clear on, that we have a clear understanding of. Because if you read it wrong, it makes it sound like Paul is completing Christ's work, that Christ's work on the cross isn't sufficient to save because of that word lack in verse 24. But that's not what Paul is saying in verse 24. And how do we know that? We want God's word and interpret God's word. If you were to just look up a few verses before verse 24, what's verse 20 say? It says that in Christ, all things are reconciled and that peace was made through the blood of his cross. So Christ's sacrifice was fully sufficient. There was nothing lacking in it. So then what is Paul saying here in verse 24? that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the Colossians. And again, we want to interpret the Bible with the Bible. So we're doing that within our book, within Colossians. Now let's take our scope out just a little bit more. I'm just going to read it to you. If you want to turn there, that's great. But in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 30, Paul's going to use the same idea, the same language about this lacking in the gospel. And what does this mean? Here's what Philippians 2, verse 30 says. For he, and they're talking about this guy named Epaphroditus, which is an awesome name, Epaphroditus, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So did you hear that? That lacking in your service? That sounds a lot like Colossians 1 verse 24, because they both have that same word, lacking. And this word lacking, it carries like this financial meaning or connotation to it. And the reason it's used in Philippians is because it's Epaphroditus guy, kind of the context of verse 30. This church in, in Philippi had saved up their money to help Paul's gospel ministry, but it was lacking because the Philippians had the money. Paul's over here. There was a gap, so it was lacking. 
So the Philippian church service was lacking because they hadn't realized this money, these ministry funds that they'd been saving up for Paul. They needed this guy, Epaphroditus, to be the Amazon delivery truck guy, right? And bring their gift to Paul, right? This book or this gift that was sufficient for Paul. So this helps us, I'm summarizing a ton. This is again, really hard verse. I just wanna make sure we're clear on it. This helps us have the right takeaway and understanding of Colossians verse one, verse 24, because it's saying the same type of thing, right? Christ's gift, his sacrifice on the cross is fully sufficient. There's nothing lacking in it. It's full of the riches of his glory, our text is pointing us to. So the riches of the gospel are fully 100% sufficient to save sinners. The only thing lacking is the delivery, just like in Philippians chapter two. That's the lack here that Paul is filling up, the delivery of the riches of the glory of the gospel to these specific Christians. So kind of take a deep breath, like sit in that for a minute. What is that saying? How is the gospel delivered? What are the means of gospel ministry here in Colossians? The means are suffering. Paul says he's rejoicing in his sufferings. The sufferings are what's filling up. That's what's lacking. So the means of gospel ministry is suffering. That's what Paul's rejoicing in. He rejoices because the cross of his Savior, the cross of Jesus, is fully sufficient. And then Paul's own sufferings, again, remember, he's writing from prison. These sufferings are sufficient. They're the vehicle to deliver the sufficient gospel to the Colossians. So just like, again, sit in that for a minute. Like the center of our faith, the center of the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. A bloody cross is at the center of our faith, right? And the delivery of this same gospel comes through the same means. It comes through suffering. That's what the beginning of our text is pointing us to. That's the essence, the flavor, the true nature of gospel ministry. That's a lot. Uh, as I've been reflecting on, on this text, I heard a story a few years, years ago. I just want to relay to you. I think it'll kind of help us have the right takeaway. So this isn't perfect, but, it, but it's kind of like this, this story I heard. So, so there's this guy he lives in India, like not in the center of one of the metro areas. This happened, I don't know, 50, 75 years ago. He lives out in a very rural area. By God's grace, he hears the gospel through a faithful missionary. He hears the gospel, this guy in rural India, he'd never heard the name of Jesus before. He's like, this news is so amazing. I can't not but take this to other people to know Jesus. So he knows of these other remote villages a long ways away from him. He's like, if I never heard about Jesus, I bet they never heard about Jesus. I got to go. So he walks, right, not on like a comfortable path. He walks miles and miles to this village. He shows up to the first little small village he's going to go to. He goes to the center of this village, and he starts proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He's like, oh, man, this is amazing. Just changed my life. I bet they're going to love hearing about it too. But they don't have the same response he did to the gospel. So this group of villagers, they beat him, right? They, this really happened as a true story. They beat him. They leave him in a bloody pile in the middle of their small village. He's knocked out unconscious. He wakes up and he staggers up the path to the next village. He falls down like by this tree under the shadow. 
and he wakes up, because again, he passes out. He just got beaten to a bloody pulp. He wakes up, and guess what he sees? He sees the same villagers who just beat him. Because one of them had seen his body laying in the shadow of the tree, like, all right, let's go finish this guy off. Well, do you know what happens? This is it's a real true story. Talk about the afflictions and filling up what is lacking, how to deliver the gospel. This group of villagers are surrounding the guy. Just think about it. He just got woken up. He just got knocked silly. He looks up. This guy's like, well, this is it. This is probably the end of the story, right? These villagers, they were ready to finish him off, but they noticed that his feet were just bloody, right? From, because he had walked so far to come tell them this news. So the, one of the guys, like the chief in the village, he looks at him and says, we were ready to come kill you, but we saw your bloody feet. So we thought we should listen to what you have to say to us because you suffered to come tell us this message. So then the guy does share the gospel with him. Some in this village come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what was the delivery method? What was the means of gospel ministry in that story? It was this guy's sufferings, wasn't it? It was his bloody feet that took the gospel and that God used to open hearts to hear the gospel. That, in essence, is what Paul is talking about here at the beginning of our text. This means, again, the means of gospel ministry is suffering because the gospel advances through faithful gospel witnesses who value the gospel more than their own comfort. And that can like sound good, like, yeah, Mike, preach it. But that's real. That's true. The story I shared with you is a real story, and stories like that are happening today around our world. Okay? The means of gospel ministry is suffering. And when we hear that, again, as Christians, we should re- there should be something like welling up in us. We rejoice in that in one way, in one level, and yet we're also products of our time. And if you're being honest, I'm trying to be honest with the text preparing this week, that doesn't sit all the way well with me, right? Because at its core, I value comfort. I really love being comfortable. One of my favorite things before Carrie told me I couldn't do this anymore because she wasn't attracted to me, I used to watch Seahawks games wearing a Snuggie. It's like, oh, this is awesome. I'm so comfortable watching a Seahawks game. I love comfort. If we're being honest, we probably all love being comfortable. Really, comfort in our time and place, even in our church probably, if we're being honest, is an idol. It's something we look towards to give us something only God can give us. But this is in conflict with what our text is telling us, that the means of gospel ministry is suffering, right? And what's interesting is I've been reflecting on this principle, this truth of the means of gospel ministry is suffering, but how much we value comfort. There's actually like a grace in suffering. I think you'd probably agree with me. Maybe you've seen it in your own life, in your own heart, or in people around you. It's almost like the more you try to avoid suffering, the more you actually suffer. Have you ever noticed that? Like as you pull away from hard things, your actually capacity to do hard things lessens. When you try to avoid suffer, suffering, it brings about its own suffering. And the reason why someone once said it's kind of like this, because when you avoid suffering, it's because then what happens is smaller and insignificant things begin to torture you in proportion to your fear of being hurt. So the means of gospel ministry is suffering. 
And if we avoid that for our own comfort, we're actually creating our own suffering because we're shrinking inward on ourselves and we become more and more prone to smaller things actually hurting us. So do you see kind of what's happening here in our text, the dynamics here, and how much is going on from a gospel perspective? So verse 24 drives this reality home, and Paul says he's rejoicing in his sufferings for the gospel. Paul is not in prison. In his prison cell, he's not being tortured by smaller and insignificant things, is he? because he's focused on the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. So he can count his sufferings gain, and he can actually rejoice in them because it's about Christ and his gospel. One of my favorite quotes, I have to share this with you, is from this guy named G.K. Chesterton. Picture a guy with like a cool monocle, awesome mustache, English guy. He said this, Jesus promised the disciples three things. It's true for each of you in this room that worship Jesus. Jesus promised you these three things that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Isn't that beautiful? Like, that's what's happening here in Colossians. Paul's in prison, and he's writing this message. Completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Those things are not in conflict with one another. So the way of Christ, I want this to be our takeaway here in this first half. The way of Christ is more concerned with your eternal comfort than your earthly comfort. That's what this points us to. And again, the book of Philippians gives extra context and uh, just weight to this. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it's driving home the same point, so I'm not making this up. Philippians 1, 29 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you to believe in Christ and to suffer for him. So this reality of suffering and the gospel, if you're a Christian, just kind of let's press into this again for a minute, or I think we're like missing the weight and the beauty of our text. Like for all of you in this room that have trusted in Jesus, how did that good news of the gospel get passed down to you? Think about it. Think about it like from Colossians to Gresham. How did it happen? Through generations of Christian suffering for the sake of the gospel right? For putting the gospel in languages you can understand, for taking the gospel to hard places, for sharing the gospel at the cost of your own hurt. You are the product of generations of Christians living into this reality of suffering. That's how we got here this moment in this room. The means of gospel ministry is suffering, and we're all the benefits of it, aren't we? Because faithful suffering, when you think about it, for parents, share this with your kids, it's central to the story of our faith. Suffering is central to our Christianity. And again, think about it. Often through church history, what did suffering bring about? It was, wasn't it the suffering that God used to advance his gospel? It was like how the suffering uh, helped the gospel take flight and advance. So suffering is not something that's in conflict to the good news of Jesus' beautiful gospel. It's core and central to delivering his gospel to the world. Just real quick, I just want to land this for us. Uh, We need to be prepared to suffer like this. God's in control. Maybe you never will, or maybe you will. That's up to God. 
but you have to be prepared for it. I'd say at least at a minimum, all of us have or will encounter suffering maybe kind of in a lesser degree a little bit, like on a scale of one to 10. I'm sure many of you in this room can tell stories, tell testimonies about being insulted for the name of Christ. Maybe in your school, in your neighborhood, in your own family, in your workplace. So you have to be prepared to suffer, to count delivering the gospel as gain. That's what Paul is pointing us to here, as we have to value the gospel more than our own comfort. So a question I want us to have as a takeaway today, like consider this as you've been reading Colossians and you will this next week, and as you're in community with each other throughout the week, what does this look like in your life? Do you rejoice when the gospel costs you something? Do you rejoice when the gospel costs you? Because Colossians is saying we should and we ought to. So this brings us to the second point in our text today. So the first point, right, the point of emphasis, it's all over our text. The means of gospel ministry is suffering. So what is the ends of gospel ministry? Because if the ends is suffering, man, it better be worth it, right? Or why am I into this Jesus thing? The ends better be worth the means. And it is. Look down at verse 28 in the Bible in front of you. What's the purpose of Paul's ministry again, of his gospel ministry? Paul says this, Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So again, Paul's gospel ministry can be summed up in one word, Christ. Everything we need to make us mature is where, does verse 28 tell us? in Christ. Paul is saying he has this toil, his struggle, this constant labor. He's doing two things. He's warning and teaching to present everyone mature in Christ. And remember, when when I'm saying like this gospel ministry, I'm trying to summarize what Paul is doing here. It's not just an individual gospel ministry like Paul has here, a missionary, an elder, a deacon, etc., This is like an all-of-us gospel ministry. It's a gospel ministry that's for the local church. It's a community project. We're going to see that later in Colossians chapter 3, so I'm not making that up. Gospel ministry is each of us and all of us together. And when we think about this ends of gospel ministry, there's so much that could be said, but I just want to uh, connect the dots for us real quick so so that we're living into this truth as a particular gospel church, the community aspect of this. That's one reason, is one reason why Gresham Bible Church, why we value church membership. You might not see church membership in this text in Colossians. I get that. But if we're all called to rejoice in our sufferings and to make the gospel known, we need each other. That's the essence the helpful, the intent, helpful, positive intent of church membership, that we're to help one another live into this beautiful gospel and to make it known. That's also a reason like Anthony just shared as a service leader an announcement, table in the back. I'd encourage you if you haven't done so, sign up for a men's Bible study, guys. Ladies, sign up for a women's Bible study. Join, participate, a community group. Help one another treasure this gospel and value this gospel more than your comfort. You can't do it by yourself. We need each other. And then specifically, I don't want us to miss this. Look at verses two and three that Paul's struggling for again. Okay, we talk about the means, the ends. What's he struggling for? Verses two and three. Paul's struggling that their hearts may be encouraged 
being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So these verses show us that the power supply of gospel ministry is God and these goals, the things that Paul is striving for, he's struggling for, is for these Colossian Christians to grow in four specific ways. And again, as a church, we want to come to hear God's word. I don't want you to just come hear whoever's filling the pulpit. Look down at the text in front of you. This is right in the text, the four things Paul is struggling for. Four things, encouragement, unity, assurance, and knowledge. These are four things we need to struggle for and be praying for ourselves and for our church family. Encouragement, unity, assurance, and knowledge. And I'm curious, when you hear of four gospel uh, goals, right? These are some ends that Paul's ministry is working towards. Just how's that sit with you? Like when you hear these four gospel goals, what are you thinking? For some of you in this room that maybe have had some similar life experiences than me, I hate that I'm going to share this with you right now, but you're probably thinking, yep, these goals need to be smart goals. They need to be specific measurable, right? All this different stuff. And you're like, they need to be actionable and they need to measure results quarter over quarter and drive behaviors and metrics. That's all stuff like that's not bad, right? In our workplaces, that's well and good. But these aren't goals like that. These are spiritual kind of goals that are really hard to see, that are hard to measure. These goals are goals Paul is praying for Colossians. We should be praying for each other. These are goals that are about our vertical relationship with God, right? and then our horizontal relationship with one another because that's what God is most concerned about. When we come to gather to worship God on Sundays, the first and primary audience is God. It's not one another, okay? It's God, and God wants us to have these type of goals as a specific local church family for one another. So be encouraging one another be valuing unity with one another, assure one another of gospel evidences of God's work of grace in one another's life. Call it out. We do that in our community groups and it blesses one another and it gives God glory. And then be about praying for one another and striving for this knowledge that Paul is pointing us to. So in our passage, I'm just trying to like tie a lot of these things together here. But in our passage, we're seeing that Christ is the means of gospel ministry and that Christ is the ends of gospel ministry. We're, we're getting close to the end. What does Paul also do? The second to last verse in our text today in verse four. He also warns us, doesn't he? He warns us specifically about one thing about gospel ministry. Paul warns us that there can be those who seek to delude, is his word, delude Christians with what? With plausible arguments. So the word delude here, to ground us in the text, we don't pour our own meaning into it, we want to exposit the text, bring out what's in the text. Delude here means, means to miscalculate, to reason falsely about Christ. Paul is saying here he doesn't want these Colossian believers to reason falsely, to be deluded about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. So how would something like that happen? 
in Colossians 2.4, Paul is saying Christians can be. Like, feel the weight of that. Like Eric so encouraged us with last week about the supremacy of Christ and who he is. And then there's this if back in 123. If you remain stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. We should feel that same weight here in verse 4 not to be deluded with plausible arguments away from Christ. So again, how are you deluded? It's not just like some ethereal thing that floats in the air. Specifically, with plausible arguments is how you can be deluded. This means there are real enemies to gospel ministry. For something to be plausible, like just think about that for a minute. What does it have to be? has to have like some resemblance to truth, doesn't it? For it to be plausible, it has to be believable. It has to have some sort of logic that connects with you. Something is plausible to me, and I'm sure to you, it's plausible to you when it sounds good to you, when it makes sense in some sort of way, when it appeals to something inside of you. It makes it plausible. Yeah, yeah, tell me more. And then you get drawn to being deluded from a plausible argument. What's Paul saying here? He's not just like driving by saying, hey, look at that tree over there. Look at those plausible arguments on our left. He's warning us. He's saying, be aware of this. You can be deluded from the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ with plausible arguments. You can be deluded away from the riches of Christ from your hope of glory, from Christ being all you need for wisdom and knowledge. And so Gresham Bible Church, the same is true for us as a church now, as God's people in the day and age in which we live. And we have to help each other again. I hope you're connecting the text to us as a local church family. What's another way again you can help each other not be deluded with plausible arguments? You have to one another each other with the gospel. You have to actually be in one another's lives, not just through Bible studies or community groups, but yeah, it's a great place. You have to be in each other's lives, valuing, treasuring, knowing God's word and treasuring the gospel. We have to know if something, you know, hey, that's a plausible argument. What are the two things you have to be aware of? You have to know the real thing to know it's not the real thing, right? And then you have to be aware there's actually going to be counterfeits. So you have to be aware of these things. And how do you know something, again, is counterfeit? We probably all know this. Probably a lot of the parents in the room have shared this with your kids. And the reason why is because it's true. How do people know what counterfeits are? By having the real thing and saying, that doesn't quite add up. This is the real gospel, the sufficiency of Christ. This doesn't match. Okay, so you have to know a counterfeit. In order to know a counterfeit, you have to know the real thing. So there were plausible arguments in the early church that could delude believers away from the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. There are plausible arguments in our cultural moment, in our day and age, that are going to try to do the same thing to take your eyes off of Jesus and the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ because there's nothing new under the sun. And if Jesus tarries, this will be the same for the church 300 years from now, 3,000 years from now. This is true. This is God's word for us. And I want to leave us, encourage us as community groups are starting up here in the next few weeks. Like, if you have a note pad in front of you, write this down. Consider this question for yourself and spur one another on in love and godliness with the gospel with this question together. 
when you're thinking about a plausible argument, ask yourself this. Does this teaching reshape the gospel to fit a mold created by the world? Does this teaching reshape the gospel to fit a mold created by the world? Okay, that's a really helpful diagnostic question to figure out what could be a plausible argument or not. All right, verse five, I don't want us to miss this and how this ends. We started our text with Paul rejoicing. How do we end in 2.5? What's Paul doing? He's rejoicing again, and he's rejoicing because of the gospel fruit in the lives of these Colossian believers. He's rejoicing that they really are stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Paul is experiencing here the joyful satisfaction, the joy of gospel ministry as he sees the Colossians growing into this gospel, growing into Christ and making him known. And this is because gospel ministry is hard. Paul's in prison. Gospel ministry is hard, but gospel ministry is filled with joy. It's filled with joy. I love how our text ends. Paul's rejoicing in his persecution, in his suffering. What is making him happy? It's the gospel bearing fruit in others, the gospel advancing. So as we move to a close again, I want to tie this means and this ends together because we've seen that Christ is the means of gospel ministry and Christ is the ends of gospel ministry. So we have to take that a little step further. We want to get that over the goal line like the Broncos couldn't do against the Seahawks this last week. Because only Christ is supreme and sufficient enough for gospel ministry. So why is Christ the ends of gospel ministry? Because only Christ is good enough and glorious enough to be the ends of such an amazing thing we're called to in gospel ministry. And really, when you think about Paul here and you consider it, it's only when the gospel, when the sufficiency of Christ is applied to your heart that you can become the kind of person like Paul is here, who rejoices in your sufferings and rejoices to see the fruit of the gospel at work in the lives of other people. That glorious gospel, the sufficiency of Christ, you have to apply it to your heart. It's not just a category, you check the box, you have to live into it. You have to trust it. You have to believe it. You bank your life on it. Because Christ is all and Christ is everything. As we close, just, just consider again. Worship. How has Christ been described in just these few short verses in our text? Christ is shown to be the riches and hope of glory. Wow. The riches and hope of glory. Christ is shown to be the centerpiece of the gospel the mystery of God. Christ is the one in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Christ is the means and Christ is the ends of gospel ministry because Christ is enough. That's what Paul is saying here in our text in Colossians. So why and how do you rejoice in suffering to advance the gospel? It's because of what the gospel is. It's because Jesus is worth it, because Jesus paid the cost of our sin, our sins of self-sufficiency, so that we could know the sufficiency of Christ. The sufferings of gospel ministry are worth it because Jesus experienced ultimate suffering on the cross in each of our place 
so that we could know ultimate joy in Christ. It's worth it because the blood of Jesus was poured out so that we could be washed clean and brought in. This gospel has a sweetness to it that frames and informs our suffering. It's worth it because Jesus went to the cross for what? For the joy that was set before him to purchase joy everlasting for sinners like us so we can rejoice in our suffering like Christ did going to his cross. We rejoice in our suffering because in Christ, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And we rejoice in our suffering because our present sufferings, Paul says elsewhere, they're not even worth comparing. Don't even start. Don't even play that game with me. They're not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us and in us through Christ. So I'm going to leave us with a quote that should kind of rock your world, if you're being honest. John Piper says this, If you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risk will be high, and your joy will be full. Some of you will die in the service of Christ. That will not be a tragedy. Treasuring life above Christ is a tragedy. That's what we're seeing here in Colossians. A life of gospel ministry is filled with Christ, and that's a worthwhile kind of life. So are you looking for real riches? Look to Christ. Are you looking for true truth? Look to Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the means of gospel ministry, and Christ is the ends of gospel ministry. Let's close in prayer. Father, we praise you for your glorious gospel. We praise you for the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Lord, for those of us in this room that are struggling, may we know that our sufficiency is in you. For those who need wisdom, Father, lift their eyes to Jesus, the one in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. May we not be tempted to go anywhere else for seeking our riches and our truth. Lord, if there are any today that haven't yet trusted in Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you will open their eyes, that you will take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh to trust you, to see the glories of this gospel, to see the riches and truth that are only in Christ. Lord, I pray for this word, that you will use it to grow us as a church deeper and deeper into being a people who love you through your word, who treasure the gospel. May we be a gospel people who rejoice in our sufferings because we rejoice in the gospel. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. It's in his name we pray. Amen.